Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the Paleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Sarah, I am so sincerely sorry that I'm late. Not that that makes any difference to our listeners, but I have no, really he'll get everything on time. <laughs> yeah, really exciting news for you. Okay, I'm ready. First of all, while I was running around like a crazy woman trying to prepare to go cross country for the first time with my children ever, I caught a Pidgey. Now, I have been catching all of the Pidgeys and all of the rats for weeks for Finn. Do you know why? did you say you just caught your first ditto? Is that what you're trying to tell me? That's what I'm telling you. How have you not caught a ditto before today? Okay, that doesn't make me, like, appreciate what happened. That only creates negativity. I mean, it's, like, crazy exciting. And then you're like, wait, I want to see it again. And you can't make it do it again. Yeah. You want to see the reveal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the reveal is really fun. It was fun, and Finn wasn't there, but Finn was super excited that I finally caught him one. So that's exciting. Um, also exciting is I am actually on the West Coast right now um, by the magic of the internet and time warps. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. <laughs> and I, I'm assuming you are having a marvelous, marvelous time. It's so yes awesome the time that (laughs) you're about to say i'm assuming so too um maybe you will catch some more cool stuff there i've heard la is like the best place to catch pokemon yes i have uh been informed that the west coast is evidently the place to pokemon by my son who obsessively watches YouTube videos informing him of all of the awesome Pokemon Go things happening in California. And I... Um, so most of those YouTube videos are explicit. Yeah, I know. So just... I just... Let's not even talk about my children's YouTube habits. But what I will tell you (laughs) is that my eight-year-old believes that we are going to California for the sole purpose of Pokemon going. And I'm like, that's not actually... what we're going there for. <laughs> so while I do think that there's probably awesome Pokemon in LA and San Francisco, uh, there will be there will be some time limits on how much Pokemon Go is going to be open because I cannot deal with ten days of Pokemon going. But yeah, so hopefully we're doing more than that. Um, we're getting you know, all kinds of fun stuff. I, I talked about last week on the podcast. Uh, we're actually doing all that stuff this week. Thanks to our listeners for the awesome ideas. Um, so I will tell you all how it actually went next week. <laughs> yeah. So we're actually recording actually a couple days early compared to normal so that we can, um, get this this show uh, on the books before your trip because you will not have time to podcast while catching all the Pokemon in LA and San Francisco. Right. Yep. Slash doing some other cool fun things, but mostly mostly catching Pokemon. Yeah. Carting podcast equipment with us across the, <laughs> the coast didn't seem like a great idea. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough when you're catching Pokemon that you have to have extra battery packs. And then, you know, like, it's a lot of walking, so you have to have, like, water. And there's a lot of, you know, Pokemoning already. It's a thing. It's a lot of of carrying stuff. Um, There was actually a study just released, I think, a couple of days ago that showed that sort of avid Pokemon Go players are 43% or something that more likely to hit 10,000 steps a day compared to non-Pokemon Go players. Nice. Which 
I thought was a super validation of my incredibly immature and inexplicable addiction to Pokemon Go. I like that you just found a way to scientifically validate our <laughs> ridiculous addiction. It really is. It's quite embarrassing. So if I'm like catching a Pokemon and someone catches me, uh, you know, sees, sees, and I'm just like, oh, it's, it's for my kids. Totally. It's totally for my kids. My kids play, my kids play now. But it's really not for them. <laughs> it's really. Yeah. I've only got like uh, five more to go to complete my Pokedex, and I'm until they release more Gen twos. And it's it's amazing how uh, the collectors' fanaticism is triggered by these like random digital creatures. <laughs> it's it's really you got to like, catch no, them it's all. Embarrassing. All right, all right. We got to catch them all. So, I know that was I was not anticipating a Pokemon intro to this episode. That was not where I thought we were going to go. You know what you need when you're getting your ten thousand steps in, and you know all that Pokemoning. Some starchy carbs. Some starchy carbs. You see? <laughs> see what I did there? Oh, that was that was good. That was good. You're right. You're you've you've you know, redeemed yourself as Segway Queen this week. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad Good. I'm living you. up to your expectations. Uh, so what kind of starchy carbs, Stacey? I say as though I don't know what we're about to talk about. Um, so I think that it would be a really good idea for us to address potatoes or not potatoes on the paleo. Dun, dun, right? Doesn't it? I needed some kind of. Yeah. yeah. Potatoes are. Potatoes. A, potatoes. Tomatoes. Let's call tomatoes. the thing off. Yeah, that's it. You like potato and I like potato. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Potatoes are really surprisingly contentious topic still within the paleo community. Um, I, I and can't it believe really, it because I feel like it was years ago. It had to have been at least four years ago when Chris Cresser laid down the law informing people that uh, potatoes actually had nutritional value because it was 2011. I see you knew that. That's insane, yeah. first of all. But and then there was like this whole snowball of potato-ness between the Perfect Health Diet coming out and then eventually it was added by Whole30 as an official approved Whole30 food. And Even that was like two years ago, I yeah. think. Or and, more. and yet there are still so many questions about potatoes. And in particular – It's not even just questions though. It's like potato – anger. <laughs> well, there's still, I think, that low-carb paleo camp from the people who find out about paleo from Lauren Cordain going on Dr. Oz or whatever, right? So it's like, I guess it's not to say that because potatoes are paleo that you have to eat them. Tomatoes are paleo and Sarah and I don't eat them. This is like a basic analogy that we use at least once a month here on the Paleo View. But I do think that it would be good to talk about what and why um, some potatoes are good for some people and some potatoes are not and what the difference is and if we eat them and why, and let's just tackle it once and for all so that we can just point people to the answers instead of having to explain every time we take a picture or I take a picture of stew and there's potato in it and people are like, oh my God, is that potatoes? Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> they do. That really is. That's a completely, that's even the emojis being used yes. within that comment. Interrobang. That's the tone of voice that they're implying. Yeah. bang capitalized um, emojis. Yes. The little like, um, like the scream emoji, that one. It's always that one. Um, <laughs> it's true. No, so one of the things that I'm doing in Paleo Principles is I'm separating out 
um, the sort of, I'm separating paleo yes foods, paleo no foods, and this fairly large collection of foods, some of which are traditionally branded as paleo, like potatoes and tomatoes, um, and some of which are traditionally not branded as paleo, like white rice. Um, and I'm separating those out into their own part um, to talk about these foods in which there's pros and cons, and they may work for some people and they might not work for some other people, or foods in which the science really isn't conclusive. Um, so I'm kind of pulling those foods out into their own little sections. So it'll almost look like, um, you know, I start with, in the book, I start with what is included on paleo and why those foods are health-promoting, nutrient-dense foods. And then, like, really, what are the things that are eliminated? And then this entire world in between where it's not cut and dry and then also explain, you know, how do you figure out for yourself whether or not this food works for you? And one of the topics that I had to go into into a lot of detail was potatoes and sort of separate from other nightshades um, because potatoes have sort of been – I think demonized over the years as being empty calories and being, you know, pure sugar. And they have this, um, this extra reputation for, uh, basic, you know, being the same as white bread, right? Like that's kind of, you know, I remember, um, my step aunt going on a no white diet and her, her diet was just, I don't eat anything that's white. So it's like no white sugar, no white flour, no white bread, no potatoes, no whipped cream, I guess. I, I don't know what other no I'm, radishes I'm not maybe. Going on I don't that know. Diet, just just for the record. It, I was okay with it until the whipped cream and then I was the out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all have our currency. Uh I'm a big fan of finding your currency. So, um by which I mean if this is one thing that comes up a lot with AIP is people will say, well, I could do AIP, but I can't give up coffee or I could do AIP, but I can't give up chocolate. And I just say, okay, if that, that's your currency, then you roll with that. So you do all of the other amazing good choices and you have this one thing left that makes everything else possible. You can tackle that one thing later. You can tackle that, you know, is, is coffee holding you back from healing in a month or two months. But like right now, if that's what's going to let you do everything else, then do it. That's better than not doing anything. So Stacy, if whipped cream's your your currency, I say there's worse currencies. It's just, I'm just saying. I, I like, have no shame. Like I came to this realization that homemade whipped cream is just a different form of butter. And I'm okay admitting that that's my currency. Just saying. Moving right along, potatoes. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of your like psh, psh, psh thing. What's that called? It's, it's an called ISI a psh, psh, psh thing. cream whipper. Yeah, but it's so a that's sh- why I didn't. It's a psh, 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 psh yeah, thing. It's psh, that's psh. definitely its official name. Yeah. yeah. Um, we should just do a whole show on whipped cream in the future. So, um, you know, as Chris Cresser very rightly pointed out to the entire paleo community, potatoes are not empty calories. They are very comparable in nutrition to other root vegetables that have good reputations within paleo, like sweet potato, like beets, like um, cassava, or I mean, green plantains of fruit, but you know, these very mineral rich, potassium rich um, foods. So for example, a sort of medium baked potato has about a quarter of our recommended daily intake of potassium. Um, it, comparable amounts, so 28% of the RDA vitamin C. So we don't think of potatoes as being a really great source of vitamin C, but they are. Um, 27% of vitamin B6, which is really important for methylation and metabolism. Uh, 19% of our RDA of magnesium, of not magnesium, of manganese, 12% of magnesium, um, 12% of some other really important B vitamins like um, vitamin B3, which is really important for um, uh, lipid peroxidation, so dealing with oxidized fats and really, really important for metabolism, um, 12% of folate, so vitamin B9, uh, which is also really important for metabolism, methylation, um, detoxification, 12% of phosphorus, 10% of iron and copper, and like smaller amounts, but 
substantial of vitamin K, calcium, vitamin B1, vitamin B2, vitamin B5, and zinc. Like it's, when you look at 25%, like to, you know, a quarter to a third of the RDA of a collection of nutrients, there's not that many foods that can boast that in 160 calories. Like that's, that's a pretty impressive amount of nutrition. So you can hardly call potatoes an empty calorie when it contains that much. Um, now, it is true that potatoes do have a high glycemic index and a high glycemic load. But really interestingly, potato glycemic responses are very contextual. So you can greatly lower the glycemic response to a potato by adding acid to it. So a little bit of vinegar or some salsa, right, which would be a perfectly normal potato topping. Um, you can lower the glycemic index by serving it with fat, which I feel is the appropriate way to eat a potato. Um, you can lower the glycemic response by including it as part of a meal. So uh, having it with more fiber, like having a salad on the side as well. And you can also lower the glycemic um, response by uh, cooking it, boiling it, for example, and then cooling it because potatoes are fairly high in resistant starch, which we talked about a few podcasts ago. Um, and what happens is you um, break apart the RS1 and then you form RS2 as the potato cools. So then all of a sudden you've turned some of what was going to be a digestible starch that was going to impact your blood sugar into a resistant starch that's just going to feed your gut bacteria by cooling it. And you can reduce the glycemic response to a potato um, nearly by half simply by you know using a few layering these tricks so it's you know not maybe an amazing food to eat in copious quantities by itself but as one serving as part of a meal the you know glycemic response argument starts to fall apart um, but where I think where I think potatoes belong in this not cut and dry area is the fact that they're a nightshade and the fact that they contain glycoalkaloids. And that is why they're not included as part of the autoimmune protocol. And that is um, that is to me one of the biggest areas of concerns in terms of whether or not a potato is a health promoting food. So we've got great nutrition. We've got moderately, you know, slow, you know, moderate burning starchy carbs. Um, and then we've got glycoalkaloids and um, potatoes. Some varieties of potatoes can be extremely high in glycoalkaloids and some are very, very low. Um, does it, does it make sense to kind of go through some of the varieties so I think the I think the thing that would be helpful is if we talked about potatoes in two different groups because I think colloquially uh, the paleo community in general considers regular potatoes different from sweet potatoes but there are so many more nuances um, between the different types of potatoes or root vegetables that are sometimes grouped in with potatoes like yams um, that I think that it would be helpful. And I think, you know, from my perspective, what I would just encourage people to do, because you're going to get geeky and you're going to talk about a lot of science, um, is that vegetables look different for a reason. Like if you're in the vegetable aisle and you've got your kid shopping with you, um, what I encourage everybody to do is try different things and explore them because what you're going to probably talk about um, are how very different a uh, purple Japanese um, sweet potato is from an American orange sweet potato in both flavor and vitamin content. That's why it's a different color. Um, and the same is true of regular potatoes. Like a purple potato is actually different from a white russet potato. So it's not to say that they're, you know, like entirely different. Obviously, they're, they're all root vegetables. They're all called potato for a reason. But, you know, when 
when we go to the store, we intentionally try to choose something different or a variety of things. And that's one of the reasons that we don't always get our produce from Costco, even though it is like the most affordable, easy way to get organic vegetables, because they always have the exact same type, right? So we love to go to Asian supermarkets, or we'll go to like a Trader Joe's, or we'll go to a Wegmans, like we don't go to the same place every week. And that enables us to try different things. And I think that that's what I would tell people or encourage people to take away from the show is that, you know, we're going to talk about some of the things that might not work for you and why. Um, But if those don't apply to you, or all the other options that are still available to you, definitely get out there and explore because you might find that you like the flavor of a certain thing in a stew versus, um, you know, baked on the side of your bunless burger or whatever. So that's my, that's my spiel and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Well, I think you brought up a really important point, which is to differentiate between, potatoes and other root vegetables that look like potatoes or like sweet potatoes that have sweet potato in the name because they actually come from completely different um, uh, taxonomy orders. So it's it's not even that they're a different family. They're even like one higher than that. It's a different order of um, vegetable. And what, what they have in common is that they're um, – a starchy tuberous root. So they're, a, you know, the plant uses it to store energy underneath the ground. Um, and the reason why a sweet potato is called a potato is because whoever saw sweet potatoes thought they looked the same, but tasted sweeter. Like it's, it's a really sort of simplistic, like, Oh, this looks the same, but before really um, taxonomy was um, and sort of differentiating different types of plants into groups or different types of, life into groups was was a thing um potatoes the 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 root that is contentious within the paleo community because sweet potatoes have always been considered paleo as have like bonato root which is a type of sort of sweet potato or yam which is related but again a sort of a different um starchy tuber um potatoes come from the um solanum genus. Um, so their Latin name is Solanum tuberosum, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly. Um, and they're part of the nightshade order. So they're actually more closely related to tomatoes and bell peppers and chilies uh, and nicotine than they, you know, tobacco than they are to, uh, to sweet potatoes. So um, they're actually quite a different Family, and one of the things that this entire family of fruits and uh, fruits and tubers have in common is glycoalkaloids. Um, glycoalkaloids are a type of saponin, uh, which is it's like it acts like a detergent. So it's a chemical inside plants that make oil and water mix. And um, there's certain types of saponins in plants that are pretty harmless when it comes to us eating. And then there's others that can actually really damage um, the cells that line our small intestine and definitely are not good. And glycoalkaloids, especially the glycoalkaloids in potatoes, you know, they are toxic. They're known to be toxic. And um, there have been cases of poisoning and death from high intake of glycoalkaloids from potatoes. So, you know, scientific research has established that an intake of three to six milligrams of glycoalkaloids per kilogram body weight. So uh, think of a, you know, 50 kilo person, you're talking 150 milligrams of glycoalkaloids, can be a potentially lethal dose. And about a third of that, so like one to three milligrams of glycoalkaloids, is considered a toxic dose. And um, the the symptoms are le- like it causes a leaky gut, so it causes intestinal permeability, um, and typically, you know, in the toxic dose range, uh, severe diarrhea, weight loss, and as already mentioned, death. Um, and so one of the things I is mean- understanding. 
At, yeah. at some point, someone might think that their obsession with mashed potatoes would be worth that. I mean, I'm just kidding. But I mean, there are definitely people. But I mean, it's important to sort of understand that where death happens is either um, unusually high glycoalkaloid content potatoes, so green potatoes. Um, so we know the, that's what makes a, pota- a green potato green, and that's why we're not supposed to eat green potatoes. So if you see green when you cut into a potato, that's bad. Don't eat eat it um but well, where, also really high intake like where i was yeah where i was going with it is more i hear often that children eat a lot of potatoes and especially if you're talking about um you know pre real foods diet and getting a lot of uh potato from um you know like frozen french fries or things like that like it's just it's a reason to encourage your children to try a variety of other vegetables um, because their bodies are so small that their tolerance for that is going to be hmm. lower. Um, I, I mean, I think that's a really good point is, you know, potatoes have become a the root vegetable, right? As opposed to cycling through potatoes and sweet potatoes and jicama and beets and parsnips and cassava, right? And and exploring all of these different root vegetables that are generally pretty easy to find now in most grocery stores. At least I'm finding them in, you know, everywhere from like Kroger to Whole Foods to Sprouts locally. Um, but there are some scientists who believe that the increase in intake of potatoes in Western countries is one of the main contributors to the rise in chronic illness. So there are some people who believe that it is the glycoalkaloids, especially solanine and caconine in potatoes, that are causing inflammation and are, you know, leading to obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, autoimmune disease that are basically, you know, once we ramp up inflammation, we're creating an environment where these chronic illnesses can develop and progress. Um, I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I think there's a lot of foods in uh, Western diets that are harmful and a complete lack of foods that are actually nutrient dense and supply our bodies with the resources that they need to be healthy. Um, But I think it's important to keep in mind that potatoes as a nutrient dense tuber also have this chemical in them that can cause inflammation. Um, they, they are highly inflammatory. So they enter, they, they damage the gut, they enter the body intact and they stimulate the immune system. And that's why these chemicals, these glycocaloids are so bad. So there is an, an upper limit of safety established for glycocaloids and potatoes and potatoes are tested, um, before being um, sold in a grocery store. And the upper limit of safety is 20 milligrams per hundred gram of potatoes. So, um, and think of a hundred gram of potato is about one smallish to mediumish potato. Um, so you're you're talking about uh, probably one fiftieth one. You know, of you'd have to eat something like ten to fifty potatoes, depending on the variety of potatoes. If you were eating russet potatoes, which are fairly low in glycoalkaloids, you'd have to eat about fifty pounds of them to actually hit. A toxic dose of glycoalkaloids. Um, so when you look at the potatoes that are available um, in most grocery stores, you know, red potatoes only have about a milligram per hundred grams. So that's one twentieth of what the upper limit for safety is. White potatoes have 0.6 milligrams per hundred grams. Russet potatoes are about the same. So our, um, there's uh, Lenape potatoes, which are right at the top you know, they're at, at right about 20 milligrams per 100 grams. Um, when you compare potatoes grown in other countries, um, so these are potentially more older cultivars. Um, but if you look at some, um, there was a great study that looked at compared American potatoes with Pakistani potatoes. I don't know why. Um, but, you know, some of their varieties of potatoes contain... 4,000 times more glycoalkaloids per 100 grams compared to the potatoes that we're consuming. It's a, it's a very different 
food. Um, so the potatoes that we're used to that we can get in grocery stores tend to be quite low on the glycoalkaloid scale. And it's really important to know that between 30 and 80 percent of um, solanine and up to 98 percent of total glycoalkaloid content is concentrated in the peel and the area just under the peel. So peeling potatoes can get rid of most of the glycoalkaloids in a potato. Um, and it's there's certain varieties that are like more exaggerated. So um, russets are a great example of a potato of a potato where most of the glycoalkaloids are in the peel. So are um, dark red Norland potatoes, and then there's other ones like Snowden potatoes where um, there's more glycoalkaloids in the flesh. So it's still co more concentrated in the peels, but now you're talking about like half of it's in the peel or maybe, you know, 60, 70% in the peel, but there's still a fairly substantial amount still in the flesh of the potato. So, um, you know, there's data and tables and scientific references um, on my website about potatoes, and we can link to that in the show notes. So if people want to really get geeky about what varieties they're going to try, I would say, especially if um, any of our EIP listeners are thinking they want to give potatoes a try, definitely research the variety of potato and pick one that's low in glycoalkaloid as a, as a first step. Peel it. Um, and um, also, really interestingly, there's some evidence that cooking potatoes in the microwave can reduce the glycoalkaloid content more than boiling or other cooking methods, which is kind of cool because I like the baked potato button. Kind of my fave. Um, and for those listeners who are wondering, microwave, we do have an entire podcast dedicated to that. I'm sure you can just search mm -hmm. microwave, but we'll I also, also put have, a link in the show notes. Yeah, I also have a very epic, long, sciencey, nerdy, full of scientific references post on my website about why microwaves are actually perfectly safe to use. Um, you know, one of the things that we like to do on this show is actually talk about real science. And, um, you know, for me, it's very, very important to be able to back up everything that I say with quality scientific studies and, and not continue on into that realm of speculation and um, pseudoscience. So for example, if we're talking about potatoes right now, I think it's really important to look at these pros and cons. So pros, nutrient-dense tuber, you know, great uh, whole food source of resistant starch. Cons may have these compounds in it that can be inflammatory. And there are people who report symptoms at quite a small amount of glycoalkaloids per potato. So like three to 10 milligrams, which is on par with a lot of the varieties that we can get in stores um, or in farmer's markets. You know, there are people who have issues with that. And I think it's especially important for anyone with gut pathologies, um, which, you know, any gastrointestinal symptoms on a regular basis, any kind of autoimmune disease, to think carefully about the pros and cons of potatoes because it's got some great nutrition to give to our body, but compounds that can irritate the gut and stimulate the immune system. And if you've got an immune system that's already overactive, that's not going to do you any favors, which is why potatoes are not included on the autoimmune protocol, but their arguments for why they aren't paleo, those don't make sense anymore. To just say, you know, they're empty calories, we're just going to lump them in the same category as, you know, sugar, um, that's categorically false. I want to highlight one of the things that you said, which is uh, really important. I love that you have a chart about different kinds of potatoes because I didn't know that and I'm going to check it out. Um, but for me, um, even though it's a nightshade, um, I actually am able to consume potatoes um, without uh, an inflama inflammatory response um, if I don't eat the peel. So I think, you know, as people, um, like you said, who maybe are on AIP and they want to try a potato, um, 
knowing the nuances of what you just explained is important. And so I just wanted to highlight to people, um, and I'm going to check out that list just to see, cause I've done, you know, my own kind of N equals one experiments and it'll be interesting to uh, cross reference with what you've, um, posted, but, um, it's, it's the whole thing, everything about paleo is really about what works for you and what makes you feel good. So it's always good to have base knowledge and information to make informed decisions um, about what to try or to kind of help yourself understand what is or isn't working. But I think um, this, this idea that, you know, things either categorically do or don't um, work for people um, in a vacuum without actually applying it to individual requirements, uh, is it's just silly. And, um, if you have a guru that you're listening to that tells you this one thing absolutely never works for anybody, or this one thing absolutely always works for everybody. Um, I would question like where they got that information and what science they're using to back it up. And, um, you know, it's just, I don't know, I'm on a whole bunch of soap boxes and then I just get to like three quarters of the way through and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> well, I think that it, to me, it's very important to, um, and I think it's something that we try to do on the show and we both try to do with our websites and social media is give people the information that they need to make an informed decision because they're, you know, with potatoes as an example, there are great pros and there are potential cons and there are very likely people who are more sensitive and people who are more resilient. And um, you're not necessarily going to know what you are until you try it. Although, you know, I would say somebody who who's struggling to mitigate autoimmune disease with the autoimmune protocol, that maybe trying it should not be a top priority given its potential to cause a lot of inflammation. But it's actually really common in the autoimmune protocol or the autoimmune community of people who are doing reintroductions after the autoimmune protocol is to find that potatoes work and other nightshades don't. Um, and part of the reason is because of exactly what you're saying, like peeling the potato can get rid of such a huge um, percentage of the glycoalkaloids. Um, the other part is that, I mean, solanine is found in quite a few and caconine is find, found in quite a few, but a lot of people will have more issues with tomatine, which is found in tomatoes, compared to solanine and caconine, which are the glycolite, main glycoalkaloids found in potatoes. Um, so there's a bit of a difference in terms of exactly how these different glycoalkaloids work in our body, exactly how easily they get across our gut barriers, exactly what they do to our gut barriers as they cross and how much they stimulate the immune system. So for example, alpha tomatine in tomatoes has actually been investigated for use in vaccines um, as an adjuvant. So it's, you know, a vaccine is a, a dead or inert virus that can't reproduce or is completely dead. And like some kind of chemicals that are going to ramp up your immune system so that you develop immunity against that vaccine or against whatever that vaccine is against. So if you don't have the adjuvant, you can't get enough of an immune response to actually develop immunity. So, you know, this compound in tomatoes, you know, we think of tomatoes as such a health-promoting food because they do have a really compelling amount of nutrition, including some really cool phytochemicals. Um, but they're one of the most inflammatory foods because of the alpha-tomatine content. So again, you know, they fall in under this same umbrella of nightshades that potatoes do of a food that has some great pros and has some great cons. And you really need to look at your nutrient sufficiency. Are you getting the nutrients that you need? Because that'll influence how your body responds to something, how stressed you are, how well you're sleeping, how active you are, whether or not you have diagnosed diseases and how well managed those diseases are. Um, all of those things are going to affect how an individual is going to respond to a food on top of genetic susceptibilities. So I think it's really important to understand that when we say the fundamental principle of paleo is figuring out what works for you, it means figuring out what works for you with this foundation of understanding 
what the pros and cons are of different foods and what are the factors that influence whether or not a food is going to work for you and how to know if that food's going to work for you. So really understanding how to listen to our own bodies, how to keep food journals, what types of symptoms to look for. And we've talked about all of this stuff on the show before, um, but I think it's really important to you know, understand that for a lot of foods, like the whole part in that's coming up in Paleo Principles, there's some great pros and there's some great cons. And all that I think a responsible um, educator can do with that is give you that list of pros and cons and then let you make the decision and let you experiment and figure out if it's going to work for you rather than throwing this on a banned, no, it's not paleo list or, well, it's not paleo and now it's paleo or it's, you know, it was paleo, it was perfect health diet. Now it's whole 30. I think that we get so wrapped up in the rules and the check bar boxes, right? This is paleo. This is not paleo. And we forget to take a step back and actually look at what scientific research can tell us about the properties of that food and how that food impacts human health and then make an educated choice for ourselves. So I'm really trying to, with paleo principles, get away from these rules and get back to the basics of understanding food. I see you got me on a soapbox. I'm so down. It's a, it's a soapbox menagerie. Um, <laughs> is it a, wait, is it a menagerie? I, I don't know. Couldn't you just like I let that think there was awesome not without questioning it? Just, I, I think there was a shortage of animals to call it a menagerie. Well, now you're getting critical. I mean, so, I appreciated the French derived word. I mean, that was cool. So in the case that someone identifies that potatoes do work for them, i.e. they're not on the autoimmune protocol or they've reintroduced it, um, what I'm hearing from the science is that, um, you know, making sure that you're eating it as part of a balanced diet. And by that, I mean, um, not only potatoes and, um, helping it balance your blood sugar with, you know, fat, protein, fiber from other sources, um, is, is the recommendation. Am am I simplifying that correctly? Yeah, I think so. I think that, um, there's not a compelling reason to eat the peel. Um, I think that probably peeling potatoes, I mean, you can cook, right? You can bake a potato in the peel and then just eat the yummy part in the inside. Um, I think that when you look at the glycoalkaloid content in the peel versus new, like not the nutrients aren't necessarily concentrated in the peel, but the glycoalkaloids are, I think you can make a really good argument for the big, it's a good thing to peel. Um, but I think that, um, yeah, as part of a whole meal, um, if it's not causing GI symptoms, if it's not causing noticeable increases in inflammation, um, you know, it, potatoes have a lot of great nutrition to offer us, including, you know, potassium is something that, um, a lot of us still end up deficient in, um, vitamin C is a very, very common deficiency. We think of it as, you know, being so easy to get from fruit, but it actually is a surprisingly common deficiency because we burn through it so much in our modern chronic stress lives. You know, potatoes have some really amazing nutrition offers. We cannot call them empty calories. Um, they, they compete, you know, very, very well with other root vegetables in terms of, of their nutritional value. Um, and they're, you know what, they're darn tasty. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, if someone were on AIP, and I know that you've got this and I've got this in other places, but just entertain me on this podcast for this purpose. Um, let's run through a list of, um, delicious root vegetable options. Yep. Other root vegetables that, we substitute when we're following a recipe, let's say, that has potatoes. 
So um, I love to substitute green plantain for potato, especially in like soups, stews. Um, like uh, there's pretty classic in chowder to get the creaminess from a grated potato, but you can do that with a grated green plantain. Um, but white sweet potatoes or purple sweet potatoes kind of change the color, but the chemistry works really well because they tend to be a starchier sweet potato. Um, but white or purple, sort of like the Japanese or the purple sweet potatoes, they tend to be not quite as sweet and, and a, a denser starch. So they work as really great substitutes as well. Um, and then when it comes to just, you know, roasting or oven fries or like the, the more typical way I think that we eat potatoes – Sweet potatoes, um, green plantains, parsnips are amazing. Squash is amazing. Um, Bonata root, if you can find it around here, I get it seasonally. Um, that's one of the, mo- the most tasty root vegetables I've ever had. Russ Crandall told me about it. So I was like, you know, any, anything you know there. You know if Russ likes it. <laughs> right? Anything that I was like, I was like, Russ, I don't know how to make this. He's like, just see the website, you know, see the recipe on my site. I'm like, you've already posted a recipe for Bonato? Yes. Um, cassava, uh, delightful. It does have to be typically boiled before you do anything else with it. But it's so it's a little bit more high maintenance for cooking, but it's uh, an amazingly delicious root vegetable. Um, less starchy, but, you know, still root vegetables, something like beets or carrots. Um, there's taro root, lotus root. My favorites are rutabaga and parsnip um, and uh, turnips. So like we have a not baked potato recipe on our uh, soup recipe on our blog and it actually uses um, rutabaga and turnips. So I think that we've given you a lot of options. (laughs) But even, I mean, even if you are somebody for whom potatoes works well, here's a great option of things to mix it up. Yep. yep. Um, Because it really is important to not get in a rut with the same foods over and over again. Yeah. And I will say that um, I really love veggie mash. Like that's one of my favorite foods. And even though I can do potatoes without the skin, we rarely do mashed potatoes. Like that's a special, um, if we do it, it's like Thanksgiving or Christmas. What's your normal? Like what's your, so yeah. So we normally do, um, uh, turnip and parsnip or we'll do celeriac with, um, rutabaga. And my favorite is carrot and our carrot mash recipe is actually on the blog and in beyond bacon. It's like anybody who's had it, tells us it's amazing. I remember we served it to Haley from Primal Palette and she immediately like went home and made it herself. So I just think that exploring with different root veggies to make mashes, it brings like a nuance and um, excitement (laughs) that you don't get with potatoes. But if you're looking for like a classic mashed potatoes and gravy. I think the closest that you're going to get to that is like a collie mash. Um, and you, you know, everybody has collie mash recipes, but I just think that it's, um, it's fun to explore and find different flavors, but it's also really good for you to have that nutrient variety in your diet. And like you said, Sarah, when things are in season, it's, you know, it's, easy to try new things because if you just go with whatever's in season, then you'll constantly be changing it up. So hopefully we've given people all the information that they could possibly need about potatoes. Did we say are potatoes paleo? Yes or no? Did we answer that that question? Do we need to? Hey, Sarah. No, we don't. Sarah, are potatoes paleo? Kind of. (laughs) <laughs> I always say to people, like, is the internet paleo? <laughs> like, it's such a weird question um, that I feel like people kind of <laughs> hung up on. Is indoor plumbing paleo? Yeah. Yeah. Hot showers? Uh, this is my new house. Like, when in human history have we had hot showers before? Never. Am I giving them up? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's just... Just a thought. Awesome. Well, I'm going to... Um, Jump off so that I can finish packing so that I can be in California when this airs. And um, 
when I speak to you next. I look forward to telling you how awesome everything was. I am looking forward to hearing what Pokemon you caught. <laughs> my gosh. Slash uh, how the Batmobile was. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have to like remove the app from my phone or something. <laughs> it's no, going to be a thing. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. You're going to think back to and you had like the Pokemon have the little location stamp of where you got them. Mm-hmm. My favorite Pokemon, and we're completely ridiculous about this whole thing, but my favorite Pokemon is the Snorlax that I caught in Universal when we were on vacation together as a family. Because every time I see that Pokemon, I think about when we were on vacation. So you're right. I probably will catch something cool and it'll remind me of, you know, our trip in California. But I also don't want to see my kid's face buried in a phone. The <laughs> I think a little structure will solve that problem exactly. well. There's a there's a balance of Pokemon slash actual experiences interacting with the real world that could that could happen. Making eye contact with loved ones, that whole thing. I mean optional, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well have a great trip. Um thanks for um hopping on and, and recording this show with me so we have something for the listeners while you're gallivanting of course Um, and uh we will be back next week guys so uh tune in and thanks for listening thank you for listening to the paleo view if you enjoyed the show please take a moment to rate us on itunes you can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through paypal talk just want your volume to be higher than my volume like a volume snob. Like I'm going to turn you down now. I don't know like who uses this, but every time I put it back on my head, it's like always turned all the way up again. So it's whoever the deafest person is in your house. Yeah, I think we all know that that would be our podcast uh, producer who went to entirely too many black metal concerts. So I I am going to make the suggestion right now that somewhere in the show that uh like i say potato you say potato let's call the whole thing off song that gets inserted (laughs) somewhere i say potato you say potato let's call the whole thing off that one gets inserted not me singing it no it's too late you already sung it potato potato tomato tomato come on epic call the whole thing off so I can hear whatever that is on your end. And I had something happening in my room as well. So I didn't unmute. Sorry, Matt. It was Sorry. It's it Matt. Was, it was Matt. It was a, in. oh, okay. On my end, it was a cat walking around with a toy in her mouth. Mm. Um, and therefore just yowling. <laughs> because she's walking around probably with a toy the same size of her head in her mouth. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.